Welcome everybody to a brand new, awesome episode, post NaNoWriMo episode of Right Brain. I am your host, barely coherent JF Dubow, and with me is the beautiful, beautiful round face of my friend, Paul Inman. Paul, how are you? I'm feeling round, apparently, I guess. You um, look I'm, like I'm, the moon. <laughs> I am going to take that as a compliment. It so, is. Uh, you know, um, you, I saw, um, won the nano thing. <laughs> I did not because okay. I didn't participate. I'm, I'm going to go... I'm going to go through this super fast because we have a guest and I want to bring him on as soon as possible because I'm super eager to talk to him. Um, yeah, I quote unquote won NaNoWriMo in the sense that I wrote the same amount of words I keep writing most of the time and I did that for a month. What's peculiar about this NaNoWriMo for me, National Novel Writing Month for whoever, is that I was doing edits for it and right. I posted that on my on my Facebook page about the numbers uh, split. So I'm, basically, I was editing my current book, A God in the Shed, and I thought, I'm going to use the rewrites for that book as part of my word count for NaNoWriMo, and I'm going to compensate for the missing word count with a separate project I'm working on. I thought, it's going to be probably a 50-50 split. And I was wrong, because it, was, it turned out to be a, a 90 to 10% split, and 90% is rewrite. And... I rewrote 37% of the book. I'm losing it. So that's not a rival for say, me. Put a lot of numbers out there, JF. It's a good thing that, you know, Num this is... Numbers are fun. Yeah, you can what rewind about, it if you need to. <laughs> yeah. So what about you, Paul? Anything worth mentioning before we talk to our guest? Um, No, I have nothing worth mentioning you except didn't do, for... Didn't do NaNoWriMo? I did not. I did write, but I did not do have, NaNoWriMo. Have any men turned into wolves in your presence? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> maybe. I'll, maybe soon. <laughs> the day's young. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. All right. So, <laughs> since we're, we're doing shorter shows, I don't want to like linger too much before we introduce our our guest. And we're probably going to goof off with this guy a bit because we hung out with him at Dragon Con. He's an awesome dude. He's super funny, super personable. Uh, the author of Rune of the Apprentice, uh, Jameson Stone. Jameson, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing awesome. So excited to be here with you guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, doing really well. Happy to be yeah. here. Welcome, cool. man. Welcome. Thanks, Thanks for coming on. Um, oh. uh, you know, we wanted to have you on a little bit earlier, but uh, we don't know how to plan very well. So th that's what happens. Whoa, 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 whoa. I am <laughs> whoa, not. Whoa, 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 I will whoa. not take. I will not accept that we take the blame for that. Jameson has been promoting the bloody hell out of his book. He has. Since, since right. release. And I've been trying. I've been trying. Been traveling, man. I kept seeing yeah. your uh, your Facebook updates and going all over the place. New York, Chicago. Uh, I called off called off um, a signing in uh, California, though. I'm glad that I did that. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. But I'm I'm ready to take a break and actually get back to, into that thing that we writers do called writing. I've almost forgotten what that's like. Yeah, JF doesn't know. He doesn't know. Remind um, me, JF. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, Jameson, what happens is that you take ideas that you have in your head and you write them down. Then you give them to someone and they tear them to shreds. <laughs> oh, I know about that. And they okay. give them back to you and say, <laughs> and they say, you know what you think you know your story is? You don't. And I know better, even though I've read it like once. So if that, yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's super good. You sound good. bitter, JF. No, you no. You sound no. bitter. Grateful. It's, I mean, grateful. You sound grateful. <laughs> well, like I was, like I was saying in our pre-show, the, 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 problem is knowing what to take uh what changes to take and what changes not to take and to always keep like a, a level emotional state towards it which is difficult for me um all right so jameson okay let, let, let's let's get rid of the standard stuff you released your first this is your first book your first you book i mean i know you worked on other stuff in the past but this is the, your first jameson stone debut novel right correct sir all right. Most of our audience are people that have, they listen to the show. We've talked about Rune of the Apprentice in the past. They, they, they know you. They're part of the community. But just in case, because I've been trying to sort of wrangle in some other people from different places, because now we're talking less, well, not less, we're, we're not just talking about ink shares. How about you tell us, just give us the, the synopsis, which you must have done a dozen times so far, uh, about Rune of the Apprentice. 
Well, so it's not even just a dozen. I've done it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times at convention spaces. So it's like I've. Oh yeah, yeah we're gonna touch on that in a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah. my god, I, I can't <laughs> tell you how many times I've introduced this book. So, *Bringing the Apprentice* is set far into the future, where magic and technology have come together through bioengineering and nanotech. The main character, Alexi, he has a rune embedded into his palm. And this is how magic works in this world. Now, the thing is, is that most times runes aren't actually embedded into people's flesh. So this gives Alexi this huge tactical advantage over everyone else in the world. Unfortunately, as it sends its micro tendrils all the way up through his central nervous system into his brain, it's basically killing him. So he has to go find his master who can unlock the ability how to do this safely while escaping those who wish to steal the power from him or just kill him in the process. So that is Rune and the Apprentice in about 20 seconds. <laughs> That's a good one. And like you said, you know, I'm sure it's been a lot of fun telling it, you know, hundreds and hundreds I, of times, right? I've learned that I need to practice my book pitches. <laughs> right? That was a great, that was good. I like No, it. that was tight. That was efficient. It sells the book well. I don't do that. I, I yeah. do mostly like, stuttering. There, there's a, yeah, there's a, a girl and she's got things and stuff. and She lives, you know, well, stuff no, like that. I, I <laughs> That's how to, mine is. The first thing I need to stop <laughs> doing is starting the introduction to the book of, with, Nah, you don't want to read this. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I do. I, I, one of the things, and this is a really interesting contrast in comparison, talking to people at Comic-Con or DragonCon or any of these other, uh, you know, fantasy science fiction conventions in comparison to having, um, doing signings in an actual bookstore. And so I always ask people, so what do you enjoy reading? Um, but, uh, or like what type of fantasy or science fiction do you like? But when you're at a bookstore, you actually have to ask that, like, what genre do you like? And so there are people that I don't want to pitch the book too because if they're like oh i hate fantasy it's like well okay like then i like i don't want to waste your time or my time unless you want to buy a gift for someone so it's an interesting you know juxtaposition in comparison to you know pitching it at like dragon con for example where it's definitely a more receptive audience that's a good point like i've i've never been able to do I'm, okay i haven't tried hard enough but i've never been able to do like the the bookstore signing i did my first my the release for life engineered at a very very small bookstore and it was a lot of fun it was great but it was a very private event all people right. i knew right um how how does it feel first of all how do you book a bookstore like that for an event uh it just bleed all over people ba basically it's kind of like the uh <laughs> You know, through a lot of perseverance and then maximizing uh, local connections. So um, when I did the event in New York, for example, I had a good friend who lives there in Ithaca and had her rally the general, you know, the, the local kind of networks to come to the actual store itself. Same thing happened in Chicago for both those signings there. And to then, once I have that kind of base kind of fired up and ready to go, then can communicate that to the actual bookstores themselves and say, hey, I have, you know, local um, community, you know, hubs here. And, you know, I have key figures who are willing to kind of be those community leaders to bring people into the bookstore um, and therefore justify my presence and ruining your presence presence in this location. And then, you know, once you have, you know, 10, 15 people who are willing to go and get a couple copies of the book, hopefully, um, you can then, depending on the timing, wrangle in other people in the store. Now, I'll tell you, if you do something in the evening, there's not going to be a lot of people there. You do it in the afternoon, there will actually be a lot of people there. And that's, you know, one of the one of the great uh, times that I had um, in Chicago was actually um, with uh, Rick Hines, who's author of The Seventh Age Dawn. And he was there and he hosted me and had a lot of his network come in. And we then would just like, you know, pitch to people coming up the escalator in Barnes and Noble. And it was awesome. And it was a really great way to then you know, capture a whole new audience who were in Barnes and Noble just that day randomly, in addition to the people that came for the actual signing itself. That's cool. That's very cool. I, I would have thought the evenings would have been better, but that's interesting that the afternoons are actually... It, it, it was really funny. I thought the same way. And so, like, what I would do is is now I would only do it in, in the afternoon, like one or two o'clock on a Saturday. Um, that that was ideal because the evenings, people are tired. Um, they are not really interested in, in interacting. They're kind of in there and more in, like, that introverted space. Like, oh, I'm in a bookstore looking to pick up a book. Like, like the people who go to a bookstore, like, themselves on, like, a Friday or Saturday night, and I'm 
I'm one of those people too, but I don't want to be like, you know, really accosted. That's when I'm in like introvert mode. So some people were very receptive, but like Saturday afternoon, man, they were like, oh, cool. What is this? Tell me more. And that's really what you need. Otherwise, it's just painful for everyone. It, it makes sense now that I'm sort of applying my marketing experience expertise to it. Like people in the evening are, they, they're not shopping, they're buying, but people on the weekend during the day, they're, they're shopping, they're window exploring, browsing. They're exploring. Yeah, exactly. Well, you also yeah. got to think about like, look at what we're doing, like on a weeknight. Most, a lot of people, I don't know if you guys have ever worked retail, but I, I have like Myrtle Beach is like a tourist destination. So when you know, you first start working, that's, that's the kind of jobs there are. So, um, uh, a lot of times, like you see your sales, like after 6 p.m., they just kind of crash because right. most people are not out. You know, most people in the evening, um, they go home, they have dinner with their family, they, you know, hang out or do chores or watch TV or whatever, you know, um, write books, maybe some of us sometimes, <laughs> <Right>. but uh, <laughs> or not write books if you're promoting books. For that's right. That's or right. manifestos. Right, guys? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Sure, <laughs> JF. Hi. So, I'm not alone. <laughs> you are non-violent, non-violent manifestos. <laughs> no, no, no. It's mostly about candy. <laughs> yeah, but, sure it is. Yeah, whatever you say, buddy. It's special nose candy or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how you. That's how you won, Nano Remo. That's it, yeah, that's right it. there. I have I not been sleeping a lot, and I may have Googled side effects of meth. But yeah. oh my god, that was that was <laughs> that research. Was research, yeah, research yeah. for the book. <laughs> Get a good dentist, man. That's all I can say. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. So uh, (laughs) I I actually did a... (laughs) Uh, Sorry. Go on. No, it's okay. I was just saying, I did a signing at the local um, Barnes & Noble here uh, in Myrtle Beach, and uh, I experienced the exact same thing you're talking about, Jameson. Like, um, I was lucky enough to get in on a Saturday afternoon, and... There's so many more people who are just kind of like browsing, you know, or window shopping and they're right. just and they're interested in like picking up some new stuff and they're like when you're at a, a booth or a table or whatever and they're like see you and they're like think that you are someone and you know <laughs> so you're like yeah, I am. Look at this. I got this book and you should buy it cuz you're in a bookstore, right? Because yeah, right. definitely. Well, and you're like d- I'll even write my name inside of it if you if you feel like you know, wanting me to do that, I guess, you know, but that, that's the interesting thing that that's part, that's one part I, 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 I am aware of, uh, is the, the, the idea of creating perceived value for your product. Like you can be an absolute nobody, but if you have a banner that looks professional, you've got right. a car and there's a book with your name on it, you're a pro as far as most people are concerned. Of course. Right. Right. Yeah. I found enthusiasm and, and just being so excited about the story. That's, that's what really won you know, would win me the day, particularly like, like just recently I got back from South Maryland Comic-Con. It's a very small regional Comic-Con convention and I moved probably around 40 books. Um, so that's, that's, that's a lot. It's a lot of hardcovers, man. Yeah. And it was, again, I was just bleeding over everyone. So just so enthusiastic and so excited to share the story. Um, and that to me is what, what wins it, but it drains me, man. Like I'm an introvert, dude, it, it is so tiring and not just on a physical level. I go to the gym all the time. It's not physically tiring. Um, it is, but, but that's irrelevant. It's just emotionally, like psychically in my psyche tiring. I can't even describe it. It's very, 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 very intense. Yeah, I well, used to I used to volunteer for a company called Games Workshop to run events at local uh, store, and basically it's just having a table with a bunch of toys and going to people of all ages and saying, "Hey, come and try this toy," and I hated it because exactly what you're saying. Like at the end of the day, it's like I've talked to like forty people and I don't remember a single name or face, and you just everything right. becomes this weird blur. It's uncomfortable. Well, but, I don't know. Have yeah, you, Jay? Oh, I was just going to ask: Have you done a convention where you're stuck in a booth yet, like for the entire weekend, and you're sitting there and you're talking to every person who walks by? Have you done that for um, Life Engineered or for anything else? I guess, but I have not for Life Engineered. Uh, what I have done is when I was about sixteen, me and two of my buddies tried to start. Uh, we were a bit ahead of our time because the internet wasn't really that much of a thing back then. We tried You're to. Old. I am freaking ancient. <laughs> Feel it in my bones. 
The internet's been around forever, man. Come on. No, but it, it, <laughs> it wasn't at a point where people were doing web comics was really a thing. So yeah, I'm still old. Um, <laughs> but we, were, we tried to start doing a comic. And what we would do is back then we would go to comic cons and we would get an artist table. But back then, especially in Montreal, comic cons weren't what they are right now. Right now, comic cons right. are enormous back then comic cons was like 200 people in a day but you would still get what would today be considered absolute superstars of comic books so we would have our table right next to joe coseda's table with our stupid little comic book and that was our experience so to us it was fun because we spent the day uh nerding out and if i had been good at making connections and networking i would have gotten in touch and i have this episode where um me and a couple of my friends were invited to go because this is Montreal. We were invited to go to the strippers with by a, like a, a bunch of, uh, of of you know American comic book like people like not Jim Lee but um, Bernard something. It was um, and and Jim Palmiotti and and basically people that are huge and I would love to have contact with. And we had to say, well, no, we're like totally underage, dude. <laughs> yeah, we can't. That's pretty funny. But thanks, maybe right. I guess it was just yeah, a bizarre right. experience. Well, the point is, um, the one, the one point I wanted to get to is uh, that I I have done that pretty recently this this year, and uh, I don't know. I obviously haven't done it as much as you, Jameson, but it uh, it was pretty draining after two or three days of sitting in a, at a booth or standing by a, a, a booth a, by a booth and passing out stuff and just trying to get people to come over and talk to you and purchase your thing because everybody around you is all doing, doing the same the thing, exact you know? same thing. Yeah, so. Exactly. It's uh, it's really emotion. It's really emotionally draining, and it's physically draining too. But then, um, this is when um, uh, Derek was here, Derek Adams, and uh, we went out, and of course I we hear had he's also lobster very emotional or seafood, day. I guess. Yeah, yeah, man, we were tired, man. And in fact, the second, the busiest day, the Saturday after um, it closed down for the day, we. I was like, what do you want to do, man? I mean, you're in Myrtle Beach here. Um, it's the tourist town. I said, I'll, I'll do whatever you want to do. He's like, I just want to go to your house, man, and get some pizza and try to watch a movie because I'm yeah. tired. Smart man. And I was Smart like, man. yeah. Yeah, I was like, I'm down with that because I was tired too. But I was going to, you know, try to be a good host, you know. Yeah. But, oh, so uh, you, you guys didn't grab a couple of like 16-year-old kids and say, hey, let's go to the strippers? That's- nah. <laughs> we try to shy away from, or at least I do, being an educator because the, the more I those 16-year-olds... Yeah, yes, go on. Most of those sixteen-year-olds I might have taught, so I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, right. That's yeah. <laughs> and an interesting part of it too, and I, I don't know what if this is your experience, um, Paul, but I have a lot of family members who are in sales, so they they like they basically they just sell all day long, and a lot of it's you know B two B or business to business or whatever enterprise right. sales, but still they're selling and they're selling a product that they hopefully believe in, but it's nothing they've created but right. when an author and i think this is the same in all for all authors whether you're pitching it to an agent pitching it to a you know tv studio <clears throat> you know jf um wh- whatever <laughs> it is you're you're selling quote unquote selling something that you've made and poured so much of yourself into and it's this really interesting like difference in comparison to standard sales. And so you can use standard sales tactics, I guess, you know, in like marketing, but it's a totally different relationship to the object and to the product. Um, even just thinking of a like product to me feels like so like horrible because it's not, it's this whole world. It's passion. You know, these characters that are family members. And yeah, so like part like, of you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. A hundred percent. And I don't know. For me, at least, maybe. <laughs> oh no! To me, they're a means to an end. Like everyone. Yeah. yeah oh, thanks, Jeff. I knew you were using me good here. Come on. <laughs> at least he's honest. <laughs> no. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, but it just—it just is this crazy thing. So then, when someone says, "Oh, wow, that you know, I'm not interested," it's fine because you know, from a, a simple conversation, it doesn't really matter. But then, you know, you, you get reviews after they then you've sold them the book, and then they've read the book and they say that they love it, and that's awesome. And then people say that they don't love it, and that's the opposite of awesome. Yeah. So. It's just, it's a really funny thing. And I don't think really anyone else other than artists experience this. Um, but particularly, and sorry to ramble, I'll, I'll shut up. But uh, no, no, that's one, okay. one more second. Well, let me say one more thing. No, you're um, the guest. You can talk. Like, <laughs> we have guests so that I can just mute my mic, sit back, read a book, another book, and they not yours, because <laughs> I read it, but, and just like let the guest talk. It's fine. That's funny. 
I, don't, I think I think writers are in a really interesting position. So, like, let's say you're going to go to a gallery for a visual artist and or comic book artist, even you can pick up a comic book. You can you can you know look at a, a painted landscape and you instantly can see what that is. When you pick up a book, uh, unless you judge it by its cover, which we all do, but we know that's not the totality of the book. You have no idea what's inside that. You know, you can maybe read a couple, you know, sample paragraphs, whatever, but you have no conception of what that book's about. And so you're buying something basically sight unseen. And so it's a really, it's just this very strange space. I don't think anyone really, like no one, no one does that, you know, other than artists that are authors. I don't know. That's my piece. No, it's in, in you, you touch on a very important point that I don't think gets discussed quite enough is the fact that when when you're asking someone the comparison you made between like visual arts and the written arts or even a song, like you ask someone, hey, what do you think of this song? It's three minutes of their lives. You ask them to look at a painting. If, if they like art, it'll be another three minutes of their lives. If they, they don't, it'll be two seconds. So the investment, like I don't feel bad asking someone, hey, can you give me $20 for a book? I don't feel bad about that. What I feel bad about is saying, hey, can you give me five to seven hours of your life right? and read this? That's the part that is a bit more intimidating because it's, it's time, it's investment, it's effort, and you want him to sort of invest in the characters and in the story. You don't just want him to read it to get rid of it. So it's that, the, I think that's the the the... the, the the, the hurdle for me when asking, we're trying to convince people to read the book. Well, I, so I, I'll be very honest. When I read Life Engineered, I went into it having no, no, um, like personal feeling that that I owed you anything other than to give it a shot. So I went into it with like any book saying, hey man, if I don't finish this, it ain't on me, it's on the author. But what kept me, but but right? But so that's the social, social contract that all readers go into for an author that, you know, if they like it, they'll continue. If they don't, then they'll stop. So I personally don't actually really mind about that. Now with Life Engineered, I continued reading it. I greatly enjoyed it and I speak very highly of it because I did really like it and I look forward to Arc Android. Um, but <laughs> I don't- like the second person this week to put pressure on me for that <laughs> i know hint hint no i'm yeah. but so that part yeah it's interesting i totally feel you so like for rune the audiobook is 19 hours long like that's a commitment man like that's a long wow. time yeah it's not so long i mean and god the guy who does the audiobook does such a fabulous job um it is so freaking good but it's 19 hours it's a long time so someone really they want to have to invest that um yeah it's an, it's just it's, it's being an author is so weird it's just such a weird space yeah, it's. I mean, for 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 me, and I, the, the whole you love point. It. You love it. No, Go. I I love the writing part, which is weird because since I've been doing a lot of rewriting for the editing, I've actually been loving my editing process. No matter how much I complain about it, I've actually been having a really good time. But it's when you get into these other, like, these other details that can go, like, some of it's bad when you get a bad review. I mean, it feels terrible. It's ego crushing. But Jameson's right. Like, there's a lot of it that just feels weird. I, a couple of, like, a year and a half ago, I went to a con. I was promoting Life Engineered as a, as a self-published book. I had just won the uh, Disorder Laser Contest. And I had people wanting to buy copies of the original, knowing that the other one's like, no, I prefer you pre-order the next one. It's going to be better. They're like, no, no, I want the old ones. Like, just a bizarre experience of people. Hmm. What was their rationale out of curiosity? Um, the one guy who pretty much put a gun to my head uh, for it, like I asked him, like, so why why do you want it so much? Because I want to compare the two. And this is a guy I've haven't met this is a guy who like up until that day i he like i was nothing to him he decided no i want to get i want to get the old book and i want to get and then i'm going to get the new book i'm going to read both and compare so it's wow. like a double investment but you get these weird interactions that you never expect yeah no it's totally true it's to yeah it is it yeah do you have I've any examples such, of i you know it without like throwing anyone under the bus and being you know and speaking ill of fans which are you know a horrible thing to do yeah, don't I've talk just... ill of anyone except if, if it's paul <laughs> oh my god <laughs> you know for the most part 
people have been amazing at these conventions, but then there are some people, and usually it's people that for whatever reason have a real chip on their shoulder and a lot of attitude, and it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with the story. It has it really has nothing to do with the convention. It has something to do that with, with whatever they're experiencing in their life. Those are the negative interactions, and I, those actually don't bother me because I know it has nothing to do with me. Then there are other people that I find that they really want something, and so they want to know more about the writing process, and usually it comes around naming. People ask me a lot of like, how do you name your characters? And then I, I kind of like tell them how I do it and I tell them how I like name my cities and all those other things. But like they like want to know more. It's like, well, this is how like this is how I do it. And I think they almost like expect there to be some sort of like magic process behind it. And I do have my own process, but they're like always very unsatisfied with it. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, this is how I do it. You ask the question. Like out of curiosity, so what is the answer to that question? I really like soft vowels and I I will will take um I, so a lot of fantasy authors like you know george R. R. martin for example he'll just take a standard name and spell it differently I, I don't like to do that i like to really sit with the actual phonetics of a name and take something totally different and i lean heavily on soft vowels and so a lot of the names in ruining the apprentice the vast majority of them and the world in general are really super unique and they're all spelled phonetically because i'm horribly dyslexic so i i can't spell anyway so i just sound it all out um and that's that's how I do it. And they're like, oh, but it, I don't know. It's just, yeah. Interactions with, with readers are, for me, so much fun, except when they're a little strange. But I, the strangeness, I don't mind. The cool thing is, so like at New York Comic Con this past year, I had a lot of people come up to me who... Uh, had seen me the year prior and I'd pre-ordered the book the year prior and a lot of people who then had actually gotten the audio book and then would like ran me down from the crowd because I'm in my full LED glowing armor and said oh my god you're Jameson Stone the author of Rune of the Apprentice I read I read the e-copy of your book already and I'm excited for the hardcover to come out like it's so awesome to see you again because I you know I pre-ordered your book last year and that is amazing. That was super cool. Um, you know, I had probably at least 20 people come up to me, um, which was like really, really awesome. That is insanely cool. Yeah. They now just have to go review the book on Amazon because <laughs> that's a whole other journey, but it was really cool. I'm glad that they liked the book. That's to, the most to, important. To be honest, if it makes you feel better, um, having really campaigned super hard to get to a hundred reviews on Amazon the impact is not what it's what it's advertised to be. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. it's not bad. You want those reviews, but it's um, like people that talk about like the magic numbers being hit. Maybe it works for them, but it's I don't think I don't think it's a guaranteed thing either. Right. I think you're you're probably getting better results just by by the way you present yourself and the way you you introduce your book. You're probably just doing better with that than just going for reviews. Right. I'll, I'll I'll get the hundred eventually. I don't know how long. I I it'll it, it'll be a long journey though, no doubt. I, how long do you know how long it took you after um, Life Engineer came out? Um, I would say probably about six months. Yeah, I so, I, I was assuming six to eight for me for myself. And um, I campaigned pretty hard for it too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I I got to do a reader update and, and start start blogging about it pretty soon. But it, it's pretty cool to be to have been recognized out out in the crowd, particularly at New York Comic Con, which is just an absolute. Um, I don't know if you guys swear in this podcast, but an expletive show. It's it, there's a <laughs> lot of people there, so um, that was interesting. I think the the glowing blue armor and forehead tattoo uh, really helped out though. What's well, the thing? Like one of the things that you do better than, and sorry, other ink shares author, I'm including myself and of course Paul in there. One thing that you do better than included. any of us is branding yourself. Like you, you really, you, you've created a, it's a very specific look in, in the, the, the markets that you go, you sell a lot of con at cons, you have a good presence at cons and you manage to not just have a costume, but a very recognizable and unique look to you at the, at those cons. So that's awesome. Right. Yeah. And yeah, it, the the cool thing is I have a lot of people, particularly in the East Coast, that see me at a lot of different cons, and I've made a lot of connections because of that. Of people like, man, you know, I've seen you at like three of these. Like, what is the deal? And like, well, let me tell you about it. And at South Maryland Comic Con, it was so cool because it was really small, and I sold a lot of books. The book people were holding, I mean, this big hardcover of Rune the Apprentice, and then. Um, 
I would have people come up to my booth, be like, oh, okay, this, you're the Rune of the Apprentice guy. I've seen so many people holding your book out there. They bought it. What is this? Like, should I get one? And it's like, oh man, like that is music to my ears. <laughs> yes, well, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. It's like, come on over. Let me tell you about it. But see, that, that's what you do better than I, because I would probably answer like, I guess if you like it. <laughs> nah. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's, it's the, yeah. The enthusiasm, I think is what really wins people over. But you know, you just have a good time doing it. Like that's 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 all it is. Like even JF, uh, he's obviously being ridiculous. But <laughs> I think he would not be like, yeah, if you want it. But you know, if we, I mean, I'm sure that would just strike up a conversation because most people would be like, oh, okay, that's weird. And then you just, you know, <laughs> well, you'd okay, say, if, yeah, if, you know, if sure, I, if here's, I here's about my ba- book. If I want to pull back the curtain as to actually what is wrong with my behavior um, at cons and at booths, because I've had a table at a at a con called Nerdtacular a year and a half ago. My my biggest problem is I can get super enthusiastic and I will like I don't have a, as well rehearsed of pitch and that's something I, sh- I should probably rehearse you know get 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 um, summed up or like perfected, but my biggest problem is that. I will, and I don't know if it's a problem because it's it's a good way of building relationship with readers, but I will engage in a 15, 20 minute conversation with a single person while other people are looking at my booth, looking at my stuff, and I will ignore them when I should give them some attention. Like I'm not, I'll, I'll get, I'll be so happy to have a genuine conversation with one person that I'll neglect a bunch of other people that I could, right. you know, build relationship with. No, I've so had the exact in the balance, you know? It's hard to find the balance. But, um, you know, let's, uh, since we're talking about cons, you know, you funded your book on Inkshares, uh, uh, like, well, not like ours, but in the, you know, the real no, way. better than ours. <laughs> That's he what actually, I was going to say, the real way. He actually way, yeah. funded it. I know. So, and uh, it happened a lot from going to these cons, right? Because I remember um, the day that you actually funded, or the weekend, I guess, wasn't it? It was New York last year, right? Is Correct, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's when we hit our number. Exactly. And uh, I was following your. I was following along on Twitter like all day. It was pretty fun. And uh, I was, was like, this guy's. I was like, this guy's gonna hit a thousand. He's gonna get his thousand. You know, because that's when it was a thousand. And then like five minutes later, they they dropped it down, and you're probably like, come on, man. You know. <laughs> Why well, I, I hit the I yeah I think they dropped it, but I said no. I I'm gonna stay. I'm staying. Oh really? At the one- Oh yeah, yeah. I because I, nice. I didn't I didn't change over, and the reason for that, and one of the I think one of the the huge advantages that I had that a lot of other authors um, didn't have was to be able to sell at the price point of ten dollars for a hardcover. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. Like actually crazy, and so that's why they changed it because it was actually crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so. That I mean, with how how funding has changed, it's it's a totally different ball game. I think you definitely could see um, in a much longer time scale results like that. But mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know with a hardcover. I mean, I think it, it, whatever it is, it's kind of like more of like an ink shares conversation of like their stuff. But um, yeah, that, that it was my experience. Um, it, it went well. So cool. tell us tell us a little bit about how it felt when you. Hit that like one day, yeah. When you were there at the Comic Con and you hit that, it was really overwhelming, man. I mean, it was, it was, it was just really crazy. Um, it was such a strange experience to then kind of transition into thinking about the book as something that would be published instead of something that I wanted to be published. And likewise, it was a really strange transition. Um, at this South Maryland Comic Con when I had the book. And so no longer talking about pre-orders, but just ordering it. Because a couple of times, my whole pitch was like, you pre-order, blah, blah, blah. And a couple of times people were like, well, what do you mean pre-order? The book's right here. Like, they're like, I'm literally holding it. Like, they're actually like, you know, there's a bunch of them on the table and the guy's got one in his hand. I'm like, oh man, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm just so used to saying pre-ordering. Yeah. A year um, or something, right? <laughs> right, even longer, like like two, you know, two years, really, or a year yeah. and a half, whatever. Um, yeah, and like the whole portion of the production, and then before that, you had the campaign. It's like it's it's right. it's such a huge investment. Right, 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 right. And I think I think that for me was probably even the the, the biggest transition. It, I, I once I saw my trajectory with um, honestly, really, at the first convention that I went to, and that was Baltimore Comic Con. I saw how many books I was able to get pre ordered. I was there with my wife, um, my dad, and my brother. They they helped me at the booth, and I realized that I could reproduce that. Um, it would 
be you know a pretty big personal expense just energy and time but i could i could continue doing that as many times as needed to then get the book into full publication um so then when i hit it it i was you know it, i i knew that it was going to happen eventually i'm just happy that it happened then um but then having took the, the actual- armor off took the armor <laughs> off said i'm out i'm done i'm out peace out guys no i i continued going to conventions uh, uh you know probably more than i needed to you know without a booth it's really hard um oh yeah yeah it's it, it's it's still fun though what i'm excited about now is now that a lot of other ink shares you guys included and many many others of us um that we have books and we can now hopefully start going to these conventions together and I, what it will be very interesting for me is to see how the dynamics will change and hopefully for the better where we can have multiple authors at a larger booth space so not just a booth but an actual like cube you know one of those larger venues mm-hmm. um yeah. So when I ask someone, hey, what do you love to read? Um, and they're like, oh, you know, I, you know, I really like science fiction. I really like spaceships. And I'm like, awesome. Well, I got someone you should go talk to. You know, got someone, you know, his name is, uh, uh, you know, J.F. Dubois. He's got this really great book. Or someone's like, oh, man, I just, I really love vampires. Like, okay, cool. I got someone else you talk to. Or and I don't even really know how I would pitch uh, your book, Paul, maybe like a <laughs> cool i don't either online. that's the problem like do you like, like homework yeah i don't i'm not <laughs> nice. really sure you tell me how to pitch it and i can i'll pitch it for you but um, yeah what's your education level do you have a phd <laughs> oh well have i it's got a book complex. for you no it's not that no complex. no but it is like i like to think of of uh, paul's book as the slightly more cerebral and less adventure based of our books Am I I wrong in saying that? No, no. I mean, but there's a lot of action. You know, I think that um, Derek, actually, when he finally got around to reading it, um, I think he said it best. He's like, you come for the action and you stay for the the, um, time. I forget what those words are. The time jumping things or whatever. I don't know. Nonlinear. The nonlinear stuff, you know. That's what he liked about it, honestly. Or at least that's what he said. It's a good thing you kept it. All right, so yeah, let's, let's talk. I don't know. We, we don't I have, no have like a ton of time left, and I want to get into a couple of things. Like a lot of what we just discussed is stuff that we've actually seen Jameson do. We've actually talked to Jameson about, but like more in a private when we we're in private when we we're at DragonCon. But one thing that we've ne- I've never talked. I can't believe I've never really asked him. Like, how? What's your writing process? Because <laughs> we we want to get more into sort of the mechanics of writing and publishing. Totally. And it's great to talk to you about you know, your experiences at cons because that is invaluable you're you're pretty much an expert on how to deal with this you and rick hines have are pretty are the poster yeah. boys for how to handle convention appearances and, and and using events to your advantage but what how did you come up with run of the apprentice how did you write it did you plot it i'll let you talk go sure yeah i think for me i, I came at it from a slightly different perspective than i think a lot of other um ink shares authors um, or just a lot of authors in general um, because I did so much, um, both ghostwriting and then editing and professional writing, um, but within nonfiction, um, during my downtime, I would then come and work on Rune of the Apprentice. It really, it, it wasn't even Rune of the Apprentice. It was the, on the world of the Rune Chronicles. So this, this whole fantasy landscape. Um, and so that to me was my escape from the, at times, very monotonous, um, editorial work that I was doing. Now, if any of my former clients are listening to me, um, a lot of it was great and I worked on really great projects, but you know, a lot of like the, um, you know, grant writing and things like that was, I mean, there's, there's, it, it's tedious stuff. So, um, to be able to then apply that same skill set to writing, it was great for me personally. Um, how that applies to other people. I, I think that it's, you know, taking time out of one's day when, when one feels comfortable and safe enough in their own mind to be able to then kind of journey inwards and then express themselves through the written word. Um, for me, that looks like me just kind of like locking myself in my office and then just working on it for hours and hours and hours and doing that over the course of, you know, several weeks at a time and then kind of moving on to something else. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if my process is a little bit different than other people. Um, for example, something that um, Rick Hines told me that blew my mind, like absolutely blew my mind. He wrote his entire book in one pass. So now not in one day, not in one month, you know, um, it was over the course of many months, but he just like started at the first sentence and then wrote. And the only time he ever went backwards was when he hit the the delete key to change a word. Um, 
I could not be farther from that. So for me, I go back and I edit over and over and over and polish things over and over and over again. Um, so when I finish a paragraph, I usually read it over. When I finish um, you know, a chapter, I read it over multiple times before I move on. Um, and one of the reasons that I do that is I have everything already um, outlined. I know exactly how the story is going to go. Um, so I, it's then, it's like the skeleton is already there and I then am putting on, you know, the sinew and the bones, or excuse me, the, the bones are already there, the sinew and the muscle and the flesh and all, all the rest. Um, and I wanted to make it look perfect because I have in my head what it already looks like. Um, then the interesting thing is what happens when you you know get a little further down the line and something changes, a character evolves into something you weren't expecting, a plot point doesn't make sense, or something more exciting, interesting happening or happens. You have to incorporate that, and you feel those ripple effects all through the meta outline. Then you've got to go back in, you've got to cut things out, you've got to massage things. Um, but that's my process. I don't know about you guys. That's, that's just, yeah, go ahead, Paul. I was just going to say, that's pretty interesting. Um, uh, Cause I, I do more like what you were saying. Like I, I, I would maybe go chapter more than like paragraph, but I would, in fact, when I was writing ageless, what I did is I would write a chapter or a large chunk, maybe not a full chapter. I'd finish a chapter or start a new chapter, but then I would just tell my wife, I was like, all right, just turn the, you know, just give me your attention for like 10 minutes. And I would read it out loud. And as I was reading it out loud to her, um, you know, she would get the story and tell me that doesn't make sense or something earlier or whatever. But I mean, usually I would pick up on it too. And, uh, I would be able to fix any kind of problems with the actual grammar and stuff as best I could during that process too. But it gave me a chance to actually be the writer and then be the reader too, all in the same, like right. all, all, all the same setting, you know what I mean? Um, so I thought that was a an interesting way to do it, but uh, I don't. I don't. My process is probably not like many others because I don't know. I'd never done this before. I when I sat down to write um, Ageless, I was like, I want to write a book, and I was unsuccessful the first time, and then I put it away for a long time, and then uh, I brought it back out because it was just the story was back here, and it was just like needing to come out. You know what I mean? And totally. so uh, I did what i thought was the right thing you know what i thought it was would work and i don't know you know because it's like you were saying earlier that's my process i mean i don't know what to tell you if you want a different answer i mean that's what it is kind of you know when people ask you that well there's so, no right way you know no there's no right. there's not yeah well that's the thing like in one of the things in most arts and that's something i actually they were was kind of taught to us in in art school when i was learning design is Process and techniques are two things. You can learn techniques, but how you apply those techniques will become your process. Now, everybody's going to share techniques and the people are going to all use the same techniques or the same, all have access to the same assortment of techniques, but everybody's going to have their own process. And that's that's basically kind of what we're saying. I mean, we're, we're all going to use kind of the same dictionaries and some of the same, um, you know, first you know initial structure for like a three-act structure or things like that for our stories and our hero's journey and all that we're all going to use the same techniques but how we're going to apply them is always going to be very personal and that's our process like i'm surprised to learn that my process seems to be closer to rick Hines's process i tend to write my my, my story in like in a very how it's meant to be read. It may not be chronological, but it's I'm going to write it the way it's meant to be read, usually without going back. Like I'll go back and reread a couple of things, but I'm not going to make any major changes. And as the story evolves, I'll always keep a, a document of notes of to explain how my skeleton and my plot needs to change. Now, one thing that's similar to Jameson is I plot a lot before I do my, uh, I, I, I sit down to actually write. So I know what I'm writing. It's just, I don't go back until I'm done and then I'll rewrite. Like I've rewritten God in the Shed. I, I, I'm on draft seven. So, and I'm comfortable with that because every time I rewrite it, I'm, I'm pretty sure there isn't a single chapter or a single scene that hasn't changed from the original book. Right. I, I totally feel you. It, it's interesting, you know, and I don't know if you have this experience. I'll even sometimes I'll be out walking my dog, I'll be doing something else and I'll have the inspiration for a scene. And I'll then write down dialogue from that, that scene on my cell phone and email it to myself and then 
will write a whole scene from a totally different section of the book that I know that's coming. But for whatever reason, like the emotive quality of that scene was speaking to me in that moment. So I'll write that the the bare bones interaction of that scene or a description of something cool. Um, and then when I get there, I then flesh it out even more. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I absolutely do that. Walking, walking is one of the times when I get most of my inspirations from while listening to music. And I have a terrible memory. So if I were to just take a walk and come up with a bunch of good ideas, by the time I get home, they're gone. Right. So I, I, what you just described, I do all the time. Yeah. I find that interesting because uh, I, I have done plenty of stuff like that as well. Um, and my favorite one, <laughs> my favorite one is like when my wife and I were first dating, she was living in Virginia and I was in South Carolina. So we had to drive a lot. Right. So I would, um, drive up, uh, to Virginia and drive back. And on that, I would just use the, um, actual voice recorder on my phone and I would just speak dialogue and, um, ideas and, uh, scenes. And I just record all this stuff and I would, and I still have a lot of it actually, like just me talking to my phone and, and some of it, you know, got thrown out in edits or when I went back and listened, I was like, that's stupid or whatever, you know? Um, but I, th- I think that's kind of interesting, but the funny thing is, is like, I don't, I didn't go back and add or take anything away from the core story of ageless until we started doing until i started having the professional edits like i didn't write a scene early i I did like what rick did in the sense that he started where he started and he just wrote I, i would fix some grammatical things or if there was a plot thing that was weird i would just make a little note in my um document i would just highlight a little section and i'd say fix or whatever you know what i mean because i mean i was like trying to get from point a to point b Um, or whatever point a to z you know when i wonder i wonder how much of that as well too is is somewhat genre specific so with rune obviously i mean it is like the epic of the epic fantasy um and you know one of the critiques that the book is getting is that it's almost you know the world there's so much world description that can sometimes be overwhelming and i like totally understand that and so i it it a lot of that was me experiencing that world for myself. And now that that's done, it is so clear in my head um, that I now can go through and then do that the set for the second book without having to you know do any of that learning and i think that unfortunately the reader was a, a bit kind of dragged through that learning process with with me as i was learning it you know that's this first run um and there are then times i mean, where i would you know make a change with the physics of the world and then would have to go back or make a change with some of the political intrigue and then have to go back and change it and so i think that that was a lot of that recursive editing process was just born out of the necessity of this specific genre where for the second book i, I won't have to to do that there will be some things you know specific to this central continent where the, the story takes place that i'm sure will change but um it like no general physics of the world are going to change the magic's not going to change you know none of the you know the the religion any of those things that's all now set in stone um right. so I, I don't know and you know if for those of you who have not read it like it is a a deep book in the sense that there is a lot going on like it's uh, if you want to compare it to like a, a movie, movies, for example, like you have your popcorn blockbusters where, you know, if you've got to get up and go to the bathroom, you know, you probably haven't missed much and you come back and you're good to go. Um, but with with Rune, uh, it's it's pretty dense with a lot of different things happening. And that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing for me. I love that kind of stuff, especially like I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's not um, a book that you can like skip a couple of pages yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, be, you probably I could, but I mean, yeah, I was going to say, you probably could, <laughs> you, but you yeah. might not know what's going on. You know? So uh, you, you mentioned that you were, because we're, we're getting to the end of, of our time, and God, that's it's passed, that passed really quickly. Um, right. You mentioned uh, that for writing the sequel, you're not going to have, uh, you're not going to have to drag yourself through the whole world building. So are you working on the sequel? What's next for Jameson Stone? Do you have any projects yeah, so- that you want to talk about? Yeah, so the sequel, the sequel is uh, completely storyline, uh, storyboarded out. I have the, I have that skeleton done. I have the skeleton done actually for the next, um, for the book two, book three, book four, and then I have a much um, more sparse um, outline for five and six. So um, the whole series is actually like 
set. And it's now just a matter of going through and then writing it. Um, I'm incredibly excited to do it. Um, I think for me, it's it's now just a matter of understanding, you know, where where the publishing industry is and, you know, and kind of, you know, what that looks like um, and, you know, what are the timelines and, and all that good stuff. I, I have another project that's nonfiction that uh, we hope to have come out in, in 2018 at some point, um, which I think will be before Oath of the Apprentice, which is the the title of uh, the Rune Chronicles book two. But wait, wait, we have to wait a, over a year for the sequel? Well, so again, I have, you know, and this is kind of switching gears into, you know, who knows where, what, what the deal with Inkshares is. I mean, I look at the production timeline of Inkshares and I, I have no idea. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, you know, these, it's, it's, there's, there's a long timeline for a lot of these books. Um, so I, I have no idea. I want it to be out, particularly because the book um, really, the book one really sets up book two. So um, yeah, there's a lot of, totally a lot of people <laughs> clamoring for it. Um the way that I get around that is the people who are really excited about it, I'm saying, hey, you can be a beta reader, so you can get it before everyone. Nice. <laughs> and they like might be a good so. selling point for, yeah. Uh, yeah. for campaigning. Yeah. So you guys want to be a beta reader? You let me know. I'd love love the critique. Uh, I, I, I the last time I've read a book, is, first of all, I've most of the books I've read recently are actually just Inkshare's book because either I've ordered them or someone's asking me to blurb them or just right. like anything like that so my i haven't read a book that i have personally selected i haven't hated any books i've read recently so that's good it's a good sign for ink shares it's a good sign for ink shares authors um but i haven't like i have my own pile of books that i selected to read that i haven't touched in six months i'm the exact same way yeah the only thing i've gone near is uh there's a short story collection by neil gaiman um that I've been able to read because they're short stories. So they're, you know, each book, uh, each little story is only a couple pages. So I can kind of just take a little respite and read that. It's been very nice. I'm, I'm considering getting myself a, a, some kind of probably an audible subscription so I can start listening to books because I don't have time to read them like a normal human being anymore. I do that. I do that a lot, actually. In fact, Jameson, speaking of audiobooks, we mentioned it earlier. Is there a timeline on that? Do you have a date? Uh, it's, is it's it out? out? It's, oh, it's, it's out. out. I'm sorry. I don't it's know. I totally, missed that. It is it's live. It's totally out. Nice. Yeah. Rune of the Apprentice. It is, it is 18 hours, but man, it. They, so this this guy, I should I can quickly pull up the pull up his name, um, so I can directly quote uh, the the voice actor. His name is Kevin T. Collins, and damn, does Kevin do a good job? I had no idea what to expect, but I am so happy with how he's voiced the different characters, um, set the set the stage of the world. Um, he really nailed it. So for, for folks who enjoy Audible books, check out Rune of the Apprentice. Yeah, that's it's, pretty it's, awesome. I, I got to say, it is a weird process to go through. I'm like, I'm, I have someone working on the Life Engineered audiobook right now, and I didn't know what to expect as far as voices and stuff, and it's 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 a very strange experience. It's so surreal, man. It, I mean, and like him, the questions that he asked, and I, I, you know, he and I worked very closely together to 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 help shape his his vision of it, of how he wanted to execute these different things. But I mean, a, a lot of it was, you know, me be like, hey, man, like you just gotta, I gotta trust you. Like you should, you do what you feel is best. Um, and again. I am so, so pleased with his, you know, his performance. Just to finish that little chapter so we can close the show afterwards, because I'm going to ask you if you want to plug anything. But the, was there any questions that uh, Kevin, you said his name was, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, is there any questions that Kevin asked you that made you re not just reconsider, but look at your own book in a way you hadn't expected? Yeah. So he he had some questions about the characters, particularly about if they were going to be in the sequel. And I don't want to give any spoilers away. Not that, um, but I, I could tell who his favorite characters were, and he really wanted to make sure that they were going to get enough FaceTime um, and not, you know, not be you know, discluded from where things were going to go. And it was, it, it was really interesting for me that that showed me a couple of things. One, he really enjoyed the book. Um, and, and two, that he had a, you know, vested interest in, in kind of where he wanted the story to go. So I, th that to me was really cool. That is insane. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah, it was fun. He also, he, he had questions about like the overall arching, like religion and, and things like that and how the whole world is put together, but um, intentionally vague. So, but the good thing is that it, it, it all will be explained in, in, in the sequels. So the well, anticipation. Cool. Not, not to put pressure, but you know. 
<laughs> um, wait, wait, like, wait, wait, wait. What? I don't have an audiobook deal, but I do have someone who is currently reading Ageless with the consideration of recording an audiobook. Yeah, you don't have an audiobook deal yet. 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 There you go. Yet. So um, this person actually, uh, she, because I wanted to be a female, she was uh, kind enough to say, yeah, I'll take a pass through the book. And uh, I was like, cool. So right now, and literally this week, she started this week. So um, she's reading it now, and we'll see what she how she feels. So maybe in the future. Cool. It that is. is so very cool. I thought you were going to wrap us up, so I just wanted to throw that no, out. No, I little, was going to wrap bit us up because we, we are nearing the hour mark, and we're trying we're trying to go for half hour, 45 minutes. But like yeah. I said, this is, this has been such a cool interview. Um, yeah, definitely. That it, it's, it's worth putting in a bit more time by the same we time. Should, in, a couple, in a couple weeks or a couple months, we should... We should hop on again and talk about other stuff too. I, I would love yeah, to come back. It's always, it's always fun to talk to you guys, man. I I can't tell you how much fun I had in Dragon Con, all hanging uh, out. Me too. I, yeah, I, oh, I don't know. I don't know if you're doing this again. Yeah, I don't know if your listeners know this. We all shared the same hotel room, and we were all hanging out like at Dragon Con, and we were all super tired. And um, and JF brought some this amazing whiskey. What was it? It was a uh, maple. Yeah, maple whiskey, sortilege. Maple whiskey, like I'd never had that before. It was so awesome. Yeah, so, it was. It was a good time. Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say something, and I listen. This is not. I I shouldn't preview it, but. I'm saying this with all the love and admiration for for my my friend my, my my homosexual friends. We had the gayest moment where we all wore the same uh, the same uh, socks we did. for a picture. Socks, yeah. And I'm I'm saying I'm saying and I shouldn't say clarify. gay. I should say fabulous. Yeah. Let's clarify. Not the same pair of socks. We all owned our no, no, own. We pair. all owned our same. <laughs> the reason why I'm saying this is because it's mostly because of the, the 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 fashion sense that I usually do not have to match socks with anything anything especially not other writers socks no that's awesome i think i even in in one of the pictures i have my like blue glowing like greaves on as well so it's like the socks and then the armor like the leather armor with the leds in one of the photos too that's funny yeah yeah it's it's a great photo i think i'm gonna put it up with the show so people can uh, can see it yeah all right that's jameson Plug your stuff. Where can people get not, not just from the brilliant apprentice? If you have anything else that you want to plug, this is your time. There's like at least two people listening to this. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, right now I'm feeling I, I am so proud of uh, what Kevin Kevin T Collins did with the audiobook. I would highly encourage people to go to Audible um, or Amazon.com and check out the sample of Rune of the Apprentice, um, the the audiobook version. It, it's it's awesome. I really had no idea what to expect. Um, I when I listened through it. It, it was like in so many ways I was there for the first time because I was able to experience it through um, Kevin's really amazing voice acting and his different voices and his different um, the different ways and the different ways that he does pacing so for more exciting scenes he speeds up and there you can really feel his anticipation um, for more of the you know sensual scenes the way that he you know you can really feel the emotive quality there so um, it's it's an amazing performance and I highly encourage everyone to check it out so audiobook version of Rune of the Apprentice it was almost like that one sample that guy did that one time oh man that was awesome i love that too that was so cool that's why when when, when you were saying you're like i have someone else doing my audiobook i was like good god man why don't you do it but then you want to have a woman do it so that yeah. it totally makes sense yeah i was like jesus like if i had a voice like that i would i mean yeah so the, the, the buttery voice of our moon our moon faced co-host <laughs> The, I guess uh, I need to go on a diet, huh, J.F.? <laughs> yeah, what are you trying to tell? What are you saying here, man? No, it's, his voice is buttery smooth, and his head is round. Even if he lost <laughs> weight, it would still stay round. It would still stay round. It's, it's gorgeous. It's the lack of hair up here, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just so, shape. for those of you listening and playing at home, um, right now, <laughs> I am getting my... Here you go, guys. I'm getting my audiobook of Rune of the Apprentice, because I want to hear this. I want to hear this because I have an Audible subscription and we are not sponsored by them yet. Right, JF? No, no. <laughs> they won't return my calls. <laughs> so, JF, you plug where um, your stuff because everybody needs to know, needs a little more JF in their life. 
Um, I'm, I'm going to take a page out of Jameson's book and say, yes, they do, instead of what I would usually say, which is, <laughs> oh, probably not. Like, that's, an hour's plenty. Um, no, everybody, just go to, to my website, jfdubo.com. That's jfdubeau.com slash books. Scroll down and sign up for my mailing list. I'm going to be starting to send out some free stories, some free previews. I have a lot of extra written material that I won't end up in, in a, a God in the Shed that I want to share with people. So, um, that's the place to do it. Paul. Yes, you can actually go to, uh, I've actually kind of like taken a nice liking to author page. So you can go to authorpage.com slash Paul Inman and see some stuff that I have there, including some short stories. And I'm going to be posting very soon a script that I wrote a couple of years ago, which uh, you can read the in its entirety for free. And it's pretty long. I, I don't remember exactly how long, 60 pages or something on, you know, word so i don't know what that is but you know um if you wanted to do that and there's a short story posted there you can get ageless from amazon.com or if you go to inkshares.com right now it is half off half off of a lot of books right now correct i'm yeah life engineer is half off i'm pretty sure i saw asteroid made out made a dragon is uh, is rune the apprentice R- R- rune is half off as well rune, all right yeah i'm pretty sure it's their whole published catalog i could be wrong on that but anyway um, check it no, out they, they asked for volunteers so only only authors that oh, volunteered but who wouldn't really right right but uh anyway you can also follow me on twitter at paul inman sc p-a-u-l-i-n-m-a-n-s-c you can follow right brain at right brain underscore and uh yeah i don't know that's about it awesome thank you very much for listening jameson thank you so much for joining us we absolutely have to do this again in the new year it was great talking to you again yeah i would love to come back and we got to plan conventions guys because we we have to meet up in person we have yes. to plan convert we have to plan Dragon Con because I know I'm going there and I like the idea of doing Awesome Con. Yeah, um, please come. And yeah, for Awesome next- Con, we can we can all crash at like my actual house. So Oh we sweet. Yeah, oh we get to meet your dog. Yes, and yeah. he gets it. Yes. Wolf. He 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 gets upset. He like people call me. He dog doesn't like it, okay. No, he doesn't like it. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we get but, to meet your wolf. Yeah. <laughs> Does he turn into a man when he sees Paul? <laughs> only only when it's the full moon yeah. <laughs> nice alright alright thank you everyone for listening and uh, we'll see you next week for our next episode see you later bye guys <laughs>